happy Wednesday on this March 15th. This is Between the Lines. I'm Scott. I'm Junior. And we are in Genesis chapter 14, as well as Proverbs chapter 15 today. We'll jump into Genesis chapter 14 right now. This is, we left Abram in Hebron, and Lot went off to his own fields. And you, and you you should have been in on our conversation about how to pronounce some of these words because yeah. it's kind of funny. I you know I took Hebrew, and the teacher that I had we we the emphasis was always there was an emphasis on the first. So I always said Hebron, and then but Junior uses Logos, which is a great Bible study software, and the accents always tend to be on the second or third syllable. Like so he's Hebron. Hebron. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's okay. It, it, yeah. it and Logos has been wrong about a lot of things. I'm sure. Well, the way I just so, think of it is like God is working in our family, but just getting better in each generation. So I'm just a little bit more <laughs> yeah. accurate than there the you previous. Go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you start reading and go ahead and pronounce that Amraphel wrong. <laughs> so Genesis chapter 14, verse one. It says, "About this time, war broke out in the region. King Amraphel of Babylonia. How'd you pronounce that again? Amraphel. 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 Honestly, we we kind of." Uh, Debated that, and so he looked at he had Logos read it off, and yeah, Logos <laughs> said it the way he said it. Right. So, yeah, King Amraphel of Babylonia and King Ar, how do you want to say that? Ar- well, I would say Ariok, Ariok of Elasar, King Kedor Lam- Kedor Lamor, Kedor Laomer, Laomer of Elam, and King Tidal of Goyim fought against King Bera of Sodom. And King Bersha of Gomorrah, King Shinab of Admah, King Shamaber of Zeboim, and King Bala called Zor. I'm so glad I had you read that. Yeah. Now, the homework for everybody is to get these pronunciations <laughs> down, make sure that you got them. You well, know. I do have people ask me sometimes, like, why is all this in here? Mm-hmm. But when you have archaeologists and historians, when they actually do research, oh, all of this deal. lines up. It's yeah. like, oh, my goodness, these are all real guys. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, this war did actually, this battle actually did happen. Yeah, the fact that it's in there helps us an awful lot to, yeah. to authenticate Scripture. The second group of kings joined forces with Sinem Valley, that is the Valley of the Dead Sea. For 12 years, they had been subject to King Kedor Laomer, but in the 13th year, they rebelled against him. One year later, Kedor Laomer and his allies arrived and defeated the, Rep- the Rephaites at Ashtoreth, Canarum, the Zuzites at Ham, the Emmites at Shiva Kirathim, and the Horites at Mount Seir, as far as El Paran, at the edge of the wilderness. Now you're just doing a bang-up job here, Junior. <laughs> yeah, our podcast listenership's just going way down. Yeah. Nobody has any idea what we're talking <laughs> about right now. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, now called Kadesh, and conquered all the territory of the Amalekites, also the Amorites living in Hazazon Tamar. Hmm. Then the, the rebel kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and Bela, called Zor, prepared for battle in the Valley of the Dead Sea. They fought against King Ketalemor of Eliam, King Tidal of Goyim, King, all these kings, <laughs> four Amrafel kings against Babylon, five. King Ariak of Eleazar, yeah. and four kings against five. You know, it's interesting uh, as you're reading all this, it sounds just real confusing, and you get lost in all the names you're trying to pronounce that you're not paying close attention to what was actually happening. I, I did a series on Abraham years ago, uh, a sermon series on Abraham, and I actually, I, I illustrated it. I, I, 
I put it up on the screen and we moved all of the players around to show where they went, what cities they went to and when they conquered what city and then who conquered who. And it's actually what we have here laid out in the text. It is very fascinating and it does show how this war actually occurred and, and it fits into the story of Abraham, yeah. which we'll get into in just a little And it's a, a war, bit. so it's shaking the whole region. And it, it, it is. does it, define what's going on. Yeah, this was a major deal for everybody who lived there. People yeah. were losing their lives and their loved ones' lives and all that stuff. Yeah. Verse 10 says, As it happened, the valley of the Dead Sea was filled with tar pits. And as the army of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into the tar pits, while the rest escaped into the mountains. The victorious invaders then plundered Sodom and Gomorrah and headed for home, taking with them all the spoils of war and the food supplies. They also captured Lot, Abram's nephew, who lived in Sodom, and carried off everything he owned. So that's where Abram gets involved because his nephew, is he's, he was uh, captured because he was living in Sodom or outside of Sodom. Okay. Why don't you take so, it from here? All right, verse 13. But one of Lot's men escaped and reported everything to Abram the Hebrew. He was, or is it Hebrew? Hebrew. <laughs> he was uh, living near the oak grove belonging to Mamre the Amorite, and Mamre and his relatives, Eshkel and Arner, were Abram's allies. Honor, that is, were Abram's allies. When Abram heard that his nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. So that's a lot of servants he had. Then he pursued Ketelomer's army until he caught up with him at Dan. There he, and Dan, I mean, you and I have been to Dan. That was way yeah. up in the very northern section yeah. of Israel. What a, a fascinating place that is. It's cool Ooh. they have a gate, a uh, mud that, gate. That they last time we went, they had said this is the gate Abram would have walked. Through. They called it the Abraham yeah, Gate. It was during the time it, of Abram. Yeah, you, you can actually see what Abraham walked. It's just fascinating. Yeah. The walls of Dan were just incredible. All right, so verse fifteen. There he divided his men and attacked during the night. Ketelomer's army fled, but Abram chased them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken, and he brought back his nephew Lot with his possessions and all the women and other captives. Then we have uh, Melchizedek, the story of Melchizedek, verse 17. After Abram returned from his victory over Keterloamar and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, and a priest of God most high, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abraham with his blessing. Blessed be the Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God most high who has defeated your enemies for you. Now this is, Melchizedek is a very interesting uh, person in scripture and there's been a lot of studies and a lot of speculation about him, but it says that he was the king of Salem. A lot of people see that as being Jerusalem hmm. because uh, the, just the evolution of the name change. And so, but he brings him bread and wine which some have associated that with communion or right. a part of the Passover meal. But at the same time, bread and wine was just staple. It's like rice sure. and water in some parts of the world. So I, I don't necessarily know. Some people will read into this and see it as being a spiritual, a significant thing that refers to and Melchizedek being a heavenly creature. In fact, they have thought of him well, that it way. Well, it says in here, priest of God most high. And that's interesting because- that he was. We, have, we don't have Leviticus yet. We don't have mm -hmm. all of the texts from God, from Moses, that tell us how to worship God, how to approach God, and yet you have a priest of the Most High here, which is very curious. It is. Uh, and But at the same time, we know that because Adam, of course, worshiped the one true God, and he passed on 
that faith to future subsequent generations. Abram had picked up on that faith in, to some degree. He knew the God that was talking to him. Sure. And so there were people scattered that were genuine worshipers of the one true God. Well, I know we're going to wind up using a ton of time here, so let me continue on. Yeah. Uh, verse 21, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give back my people who were captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. I mean, this would have made him fabulously rich, the wealth of an entire city. And he can't because he already gave Melchizedek a tenth of it. He already tithed yeah, to Melchizedek he, in verse 20. Verse 20 the end of verse 20, Abram. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and um, yes, I, I, I skipped over that and I was looking for it. That's funny. Yeah. I skipped over it. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods that he had recovered, yeah. which, which helps us understand. You know, Melchizedek was a priest, so he wasn't giving him just as a person, but this was an act of worship on his part. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I do believe in tithing. That while I don't believe in tithing as being part of the law, something we often say is the tithe as law has gone away, but the tithe as principle is here to stay. It's the only amount of giving that is mentioned anywhere in scripture. And here we have it before the law. So it's mm-hmm. not just part of the law, but then it was included in the law. And Jesus also, he, he talked about it himself. He said, you've given your tithes, which you should have done. Mm-hmm. Which, so he acknowledges that that was, so I, I just thought I'd have to mention that. I Tithing is something I've practiced ever since oh, I yeah. was a brand well, new we Christian. we serve a God who gave 100%. And, oh, Why can't we give 10? To me, it's just, it, you know, yeah. even to argue about it is such a crazy. silly thing it's to crazy. me. So anyway, um, Abraham replied to the king of Sodom when he said, you can keep everything. I solemnly swear to the Lord God, most high creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal throng from what belongs to you. Otherwise, you might say, I am the one who made Abraham rich. I will accept only what my young warriors have already eaten, and I request that you give a fair share of the goods to my allies, Honor, Eshkol, and Mamre. So fascinating account there, and yep. uh, I think that there's, there's good things to learn from it, and we could go into greater detail, but let's, uh, let's get over to Proverbs. Yeah, we're in Proverbs chapter 15 is the proverb for today. And uh, Dad, did you have something highlighted? Yeah, in this one? you know, I just couldn't remember what we had <laughs> used in March and February. Yeah, but there's there's a lot of. Uh, I think we did use uh, verse four. I think we talked about mm-hmm. verse four last uh, in Being February. A tree of life, yeah. Um, but what I wanted to focus on in verse seven is only the wise can give good advice. Fools cannot do so. Yeah. But here's the mistake that we often make, and that is we're looking for peer advice or for people to agree with us rather than words of wisdom from people who have proven themselves in making Mm -hmm. good decisions in the areas that we're looking for advice and then allowing them to challenge our thinking. Because typically if we just do what we feel like doing, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. But if we can listen to somebody who's proven themselves, that's what a wise person is, somebody who's already demonstrated that they make good choices, they make good decisions. In that area that we're thinking about, it's a great way for us to gain that wisdom yeah. ourselves. Who do you go to for advice? When you think about that, when you think about like parenting mm-hmm. advice and you should ask for advice on parenting and yeah, marriage absolutely. advice, you should be asking for advice, but who do you go to? Because oftentimes I find people, it's like, oh, I'm going to this person for advice. And I think, oh my goodness, their life is a mess. Why are you going to Why? them for advice? Yeah, I, I see it all the time. The, the phrase, I, I probably use it way too much, but I always say the proof is in the pudding. The mm-hmm. proof is always in the pudding. So go to people who have good pudding. Yeah. And ask for their advice. Mm-hmm. But why go to somebody who has messed up family life, a bad pudding, and ask how you make that pudding? And maybe that'd be a good conversation for you to have. Uh, some of you to do this as a family devotional, and others are doing this together as couples. Or maybe it'd be a good conversation for you to start with a group of people as well, just to ask that question. 
Who do you go to for advice and why do you go to that person? And think about it yourself. Just because they're a relative, a mom or a dad, doesn't mean that's the best person. Think through, who does God want me to go to? But also, I know we're using up time, so let's uh, go ahead and close out. Uh, We're so glad that you joined us, and we're looking forward to being with you again tomorrow. 